Hello and welcome again to the Wide World of Wargaming Age of Sigmar podcast. As always, I am your host, Alex, with my fellow co-hosts, John and Garrett. Uh, we got a lot to talk about today, and today we are going to talk about the LVO, Las Vegas Open. You know, it's been a, a year. It's uh, been a fast year, it seems. And, uh, you know, it is, of course, one of the biggest, if not the biggest, wargaming events in the world. And so, you know, we have... Uh, Three days of Age of Sigmar, including narrative, competitive, championships, doubles, and otherwise. But really, we want to talk today about the championship LVO uh, uh, event and uh, dive a little bit further into the packet as well. But before we do so, as always, we want to talk about our workbenches. John, what's on your workbench today? Hey, Alex, how you doing today? Well, I tell you what, I have uh, just kind of went back to work today after two weeks of vacation. Oh, it was rough. Uh, you know, I discovered that uh, I've been drinking about two pots of coffee, you know, finishing off the normal pot of coffee and then drinking a second one. And so when I got to work this morning, boy, it took me a lot of coffee to get going. <laughs> so so now, now I got to back off. I got to back off my, ca- my caffeine consumption. Uh, now, finishing up my Aww. vacation over the weekend here. Uh, you know, next weekend, I am going to the CK Studios Hobby Progress New Year's in the Astronomicon 2020. And that's going to be up at uh, Carl Tuttle of the Independent Characters House here in Morgan Hill, where I live. And of course, Kat and Caleb of CK Studios, as well as Justin, are going to be teaching. And it's going to be a pretty awesome opportunity, guys. We have four teachers in the class. Excuse me, three teachers. No three teachers in the class and only eight students right and so for each of us that are going we need to bring a squad and a vehicle and this isn't one of the 101 102 classes like they've done in the past this is actually intended more for people that have taken previous classes and this is just a hobby kickoff so kind of some advanced techniques some warm-up looking at some of the stuff you've learned at other classes and kind of refining that. So myself, as I mentioned oh, on the cool. last podcast, I've just finished building the entire Sisters of Battle uh, box set that came out. And I decided to go ahead and use the Seraphim, Seraphim squad as the squad I'm going to paint next week. And then I also have a repulsor, a Primaris repulsor tank that I'm going to do. But for the Seraphim, you know, they're the, like the, the flying units and I decided, you know, oh, yeah. they have those new GW curvy flight bases, and I decided to do something different mm-hmm. with them. So I actually took some green stuff and I sculpted uh, like a stack of smoke. So it's like smoke uh, coming out and then kind of billowing across the ground. And then I did um, with some clay tile, I did some crack tile where they're taken off. So I'll, I'll wait. Uh, hold on. Yeah. John, you I. I saw your photo on, on yeah. your Twitter, and I honestly thought that you bought those. I did not realize oh, that wow. you made those. Oh, well, thank awesome. you. No, yeah, no, I, I yeah. did that all from green stuff from scratch. So, yeah. That's awesome. They, they look like armor oh. cast ones. Oh, yeah. And, and you know, well, here's the funny thing is uh, last year at the LVO, um, in my uh, whatever it is, uh, high roller package, there was one of those. Um, I think they are armor cast or whoever makes the, the ones you can buy on the internet. And I have just the one, and I used it as a visual example (laughs) for me sculpting the new one. So, (laughs) Oh, that is awesome. And so other than that, uh, I am trying out something new this week. I have a little bit of the Bale Venny uh, Distilleries from Scotland. Scotland. It is the Double Wood Mm. 12-Year Scotch, single malt scotch. And I tell you what, it looked delightful, and let's see how it is. (laughs) Oh, it is going to be a good show. That's all I got to say. That is delicious. And that is all I'm up to this week. Uh, Garrett, my friend, looking forward to seeing you in a couple weeks. What have you been up to? That that sounds like an absolutely delicious whiskey, John. Sadly, I am not a whiskey person. Uh, I have tried ah. tried so, so many whiskeys from all the different whiskey distilleries, and they just all taste like gasoline. <laughs> I, all of them. Like, I, I love smelling whiskey and, like, tasting whiskey because I can get those um, hints of all the different, like, flavors. But, like, outside of a couple of 
drops of whiskey, I'm like done. Like I'm like, nope, this is not my beverage. I do not like this in any way, but I can definitely appreciate it. Uh, I hear you. You know, it, it's funny uh, when I started drinking uh, scotches and whiskeys, bourbons is really kind of the center of what I like uh, about four or five years ago. Um, I did not have the taste for them. I, I made a conscious decision that I was going to start exploring bourbons and whiskeys. And so it took me about a month or two to start uh, really appreciating them. Now, I'll tell you what, uh, there's nothing I love more, but uh, it, it does take a little bit of an acquired taste. And maybe maybe some people won't ever acquire that taste. <clears throat> On the other hand, I'm hoping you will join me for some fine ciders and other stuff when we are in Vegas. Yeah, we'll see if we can find some. Speaking of, I are sitting here with a Bold Rock IPA, which is a Indian pressed apple. It's a hopped cider from uh, down in Bold Rock, which is, uh, I think is Roanoke, Virginia. Mm. Very good one. One of my old favorites. Um, one of the largest cideries out here in Virginia. So, uh, but, And then other than that, uh, just prepping for my new puppy honestly uh getting everything ready desperately and honestly not feeling like i'll ever be ready for this new puppy uh you 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 can never so, be ready garrett uh you know we were talking about our dogs last week and uh donna messaged me when she got home from work today my wife goes to work at 4 a.m so she gets off middle of the day and it uh, looks like the dog decided that it was time for his next flea treatment and ate the entire box of flea treatment pill Oh, and then found the second box of flea treatment pill and ate oh, those my God. two. So he took down 10 doses of the flea treatment pills. Uh, so there was an emergency vet treatment and a puke, uh, making the dog oh, puke. God. And uh, he's now under observation. So, yeah. <laughs> right. Oh, You're never ready. Well, I mean, so, so, so there is a slight downside to making those flea things taste right. good. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, I do have a tournament that I'll be running this Saturday up at Huzzah Hobbies. Uh, we have 16 people registered for it so far. So I've been kind of pimping that into all the local chats, trying to get some more people drummed up for some LVO practice and uh, getting ready for we're starting a Wednesday night, Age of Sigmar night at one of the other local game stores in my area. So trying to going to be going there, get a bunch of practice in for the tournament this Saturday, which is an LVO practice event. Um, and then, yeah, so not, I, I have actually been trying out some living city stuff. Uh, I've been bouncing some ideas off of James and using some Sylvaneth stuff with some sisters of the watch and seeing how they perform. So, uh, got myself a couple of sisters of the watch models and playing around with them and gotten some mixed results. Uh, got to play around with it. I think a bit more, but, uh, we'll see. Uh, I'll, I'll be probably no, I'll probably be using my normal Sylvaneth this weekend because I won't have all the models ready for it. But I'll be practice because I want need the Celestial Heraconum still before I can actually play the list without proxies. So, but it'll be interesting. It's an interesting list. Cities is definitely one of those books that I feel like has so many options that you can kind of just play anything. Oh, uh, totally. Yeah, and uh, so we'll we'll see. We'll see how that goes. But uh, yeah, so Alex, how are things going with you? Oh, man. Well, you know, my workbench has, as always, OBR on it. Um, I am uh, conflicted between two lists, as I talked about in our previous episode. And I went to an RTT last weekend, a very, very small one. It was like at the last minute, everyone came down with a flu, as did our lovely and uh, exotic French uh, guest host or host host i don't know what we want to say nowadays um our, our illustrious french overlord he's the host uh, with the mortal contract you know now he's got a mortal contract <laughs> he's, a, he's a he's a little sicky poo um so he's resting up and him and like half a dozen other people all at the last minute like the two days before the event or even a day, the night before just fell ill which uh, i guess has just been going around the area um so yeah they uh it's a very small RTT, but I fought against um, my friend. Or I fought against. Uh, 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 I can't use my head right now. Maybe I'm falling ill. Who knows? Um, I fought against uh, Orc War Clans uh, list. Uh, I fought against a um, Skaven list, and then I fought against a Legion list. 
The Legion list was run by um, my friend Larry, who John might remember from Rose City Wrath. Um, that was the last, basically, that was the last tournament he played in oh, was yeah, Rose City Larry. Wrath in Lawrence, 2019. Yeah, he's real cool. Yeah, he's I like him. We became uh, Facebook friends after yeah, that. He's be- yeah, there you go. He's, um, yeah, he's Ben's roommate. And I finally, you know, he's been always talking about wanting to jump back in and actually start playing like more AOS. So he jumped in. He borrowed like a, he borrowed like 70% of his army from me. He brought a double dragon legion list with Neferata. Um, he, he beat me, uh, round one. Uh, you know, it, it was a game that went to time. So, uh, who knows what the rest of the mission would have turned out to be, but that's neither here nor there. Uh, having a new player, uh, uh, you know, um, beat me on points on, uh, I forgot the mission already. I want to say, um, I want to say, uh, it was knife. No, not knife to the heart. Oof. That would never have happened. Um, two, uh, two three or mission. four was, objectives. Or four objectives. <laughs> that's ESAs. Four, yeah. four objectives. Yeah. Four Blood objectives. Blood and glory. Or no, that's not a point based yeah. on. Battle for the Pass. Yeah, it might have been Battle for the Pass. But, you know, it was great to get that kind of uh, initial encouragement, rev the engines for him. So now, you know, yes, uh, today before recording, I got a, uh, we've been doing uh, Guardian Games, a local game store down the street from my house. They, uh, they do league nights on Tuesdays, but during the holidays, they've been doing leagues on Mondays. So, um, you know, and of course I record, so no league for me. But um, the, I got a little message from him today. Uh, right before recording, he was like, "Hey man, can I can I come by and borrow borrow some more stuff?" And I'm like, "Yeah, sure, borrow it." <laughs> so you know, uh, he's right now playing a double dragon plus Neferata Legion of Bloodlist with a Guardian of Souls and fifteen dogs and thirty Grimgast Reapers right now. I will say uh, the uh, double dragon and Neferata was a list that I believe got second place at War Games Con with the Legion of Blood. Um, so it's, it it's, did, uh, I believe. Yeah, it's. Cause I remember. It's a nasty I remember. List. I remember telling you guys. I was like, I don't get it. I don't know why it's doing well. Um, Do you get it now? And, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I do. I mean, that wasn't the list that he, um, the exact list that he brought at the tournament this last week, and he brought Gave, Graveguard instead. But after his other games, he realized, oh, the Graveguard are not great right now. You know, um, it, it's funny when you but, mentioned uh, that uh, your game didn't go to time, and of course, uh, Larry being a newer player, that's that's reasonable and expected. But as a, a more course, experienced player, that's a thing that we have to pay attention to is that when you come to the table at a tournament, especially, and you have that less experienced player, like look at their army, look at their game aids, and you're going to know real quick if you're playing a, a two-turn ra- game or a three-turn game. <laughs> yeah, and also, you know, th- there are only four people showed up at the tournament, so none of us were really that worried about time now, all that I, much, uh, nor were we really worried about the right. tournament. Did you, um, we were just like, yeah, oh, let's just have fun. That, that brings up, did you guys round robin it or did you go Swiss pairing? Oh, okay. we just round yeah, robin yeah, it that's, at that that's point. Super um, I mean, Swiss pairings is long, if you can't play the same person twice and you have four people and you play three rounds, a Swiss pairing will generate a round robin. Uh, I guess that's reasonable. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, it was what it was, but um, I am going to be hosting an event on the 18th of um, the 18th of this month, the Saturday before LVO um, at a local clubhouse um, also down the street from me. So I'm trying to advertise that, get some some of the community up, get it, get them going, get them revved up, especially since Rose City Wrath's packet just came out a few days ago. Um, so, you know, really trying to get people amped up for that since it's always a big event in the Portland, Oregon area. Um, but yeah, I, uh, am still conflicted about two lists. I brought the Catacross Arkin list at the tournament and, uh, he, it did well. I still have had a knack of playing conservative with Catacross. Um, I think this is going to be, end up being my LVO list, but I still, it plays a, it's a lot more, I'll just be frank. It's a boring list. It's not nearly as fun as a list with the stalkers and the two other heroes replacing Catacross. Um, but it, and it hits harder situationally. Well, not yeah. Well, I mean, as long as the bone type streaker is up and the proper things are within distance of the bone type streaker, it hits harder than the Catacross list, but, uh, significantly harder possibly, but, um, it is less consistently the same every single time. Um, I- because it depends on being, 
I definitely get that. I see why Catacross would be a much more boring list because he has just flat buffs that just always yeah. work. There's no real like skill to like try to figure like your other list has what a soul mason and a clavico so you're like casting a spell at the end of your you you have a lot more moving parts and i can see that being much more satisfying to see all of your parts come together to a thing versus just it works it's so satisfying like i think the last time i fought uh, in a tournament with my other list um you know i had uh there was a piece of terrain blocking uh combat where a bunch of witches we're in com and Marathi and, and, um, and, uh, uh I want to call it a palaquin, but whatever it's called, I already forgot its fucking name. Um, bunch of girls and a giant thing with a statue. Why cauldron of blood? Oh my God. Why could I not think of the name? Um, uh, the cauldron of blood, Marathi and like 30 witches had charged the 20 more tech, uh, being supported by, uh, by a harvester. And, um, all of a sudden, my clavos gets in range, but I block off the stalkers. In the movement phase, I gave them hunt and kill and the plus three move. So now they're moving nine inches and they fly over. They move over terrain like they have the fly keyword. I then charge them in. The girls, the entire uh, that portion of the the daughter of Cain army was within distance of the bone tithe shrieker, as were their target. So the I um, gave them bludgeon and I gave them an extra attack. And I don't use the spirit falchions, the big blades on the stalkers. So each one has five attacks uh, with the added plus one from the Cavalos's discipline point. So they all, so total, the, the unit had, the unit only attacked the witches. Um, and the witches, I don't think they had taken any casualties at that point. Um, but they, uh, I did 18 attacks, hitting on twos, wounding on threes, uh, minus three rend and uh two damage a pop um i killed 24 girls just by that unit alone uh did the witches did have the rerollable five up shrug save um they had the plus one save but i don't know they, if they, had they the didn't re-rollable. have the rerollable five up shrug save i don't think they had the rerollable five up shrug. Okay. they had the shrug they just and and they had the yeah, they didn't. I, they must not have. If I killed yeah. twenty two or twenty four of them, um, so I, I mean, like I've had that happen. I've had the stalkers kill twelve out of fifteen seekers in one go, less buffed. You know, it's like these stalkers are wonderful and they're relatively fast. They can't get healed in the same way, and the catacross arc and combo doesn't um uh, you lack the double healing. So you know, Arkin can heal three wounds at least three wounds or possibly three one wound models or one three wound model to at least four different units, wholly within 24 of Ark in the Black. Catacross has the same ability, but it's three units, wholly within 24 inches. So the Catacross Ark in combo, they can basically heal each other, both uh, heal themselves and each other. So they both can automatically basically heal six wounds a turn. Um, and then they can heal other things, either six wounds a turn or, or spread spread the love and heal other things, three wounds a pop. So you have essentially seven heals on the board. Uh, seven. You basically can bring back 21 wounds a turn uh, with with Karkin, the Arkin Catacross combo. And it's great. Um, with Ar- if, it's the, if it's my other list, it's just 12 wounds. It's just th- four units with three wounds a pop, which is still good, but it's not nearly as good. Um, and then with Catacross, you know, I, with the with the Catacross list, it loses the extra two plus cast with the Soul Mason. It loses um, the speed of a Cavalos, um, but he is can be deadlier, can be scarier in combat. And of course, it's twenty wounds with a two up save when you give him Supreme Leader of the Bone Reaper Legions. And then you don't need a Bone Type Texas. Be, uh, Nexus because he's going to make the whole army plus one to hit anyways. So and, and he can possibly remove uh, command the first command point uh, an opponent generates on a four up, and then it's an auto minus one to hit. So uh, that he chooses on a unit. So he gives a lot of yeah, like you said, Garrett, static buffs that don't have any additional role. Um, and my problem is he's slow. He's like four inch move, um, seven inches if you give him his own discipline ability. Uh, or, or the the kind of like move move move. I don't even know what the name is for it. Um, so yeah, it's a boring list. I might bring it just because it it might arguably be better. What I want to do is once our good friend Jeremy is uh, uh, off of the sick bed, I basically want to bring both lists against his current Fire Slayer list for LVO, and whichever one does better is the one I'm probably going to bring. Well, TikTok list submission deadlines coming forth. You don't need to tell me that. I know. <laughs> 
Anyways, uh, on my workbench, besides a ton of OBR, um, I have just a dirty chai, a little bit of a uh, little bit of uh, black coffee from earlier in the day, uh, a uh, timeless coffee holiday roast. It's a uh, Oakland, California coffee shop that I really enjoy, um, and a little bit of chai, a little bit of dragonfly chai or something like that. Yeah, so you know, a little mixture of the two. One of my favorite kind of drinks to recycle some coffee that was brewed earlier in the day. And uh, yeah, you know me. Oh, that's so, interesting. I never thought of uh, taking my old cold coffee and uh, spicing it back up with anything besides whiskey, but uh, you might have something there. Oh, I'm by no means is that a thing I made up. <laughs> I mean, it's called a dirty uh, chai. Yeah. It is It is a common thing. Uh, I cannot take credit for it, <laughs> um, but it's fun. It's fun. Yeah, and it's enjoyable. Um, but yeah, I, a whiskey with coffee is also very great. It's a tournament staple of mine. <laughs> uh, but we're not here to talk about whiskey and coffee and chai. We are talk- here to talk about the uh, Las Vegas Open. And thankfully, uh, we do have the packet to the uh, Age of Sigmar uh, championships for the Las Vegas Open. And before we dive into any sort of missions or details, day one, day two, etc., it's important for us to actually read the packet because sometimes people don't read the packet. And unfortunately, that leads to some bad times for people. Uh, Now, you know, it's... It's good that he has a completely separate packet explaining kind of the ins and outs of everything for the event. Um, You know, he does, of course, mention to us that, uh, and and when I say he, I mean Scott Reed, who is the TO. You know, he mentions that we want to be WYSIWYG. We want to make sure that we are painted to an okay standard. Um, You know, uh, and of course, he, he has great links to that, as well as a link to the behavior and expectation page. Um, and as usual, he has one of my favorite things, the things where he talks about the games over the weekend. And uh, I did notice that the missions are two hours and 45 minutes. So they're giving you a little bit extra time. I just assume that they're counting the extra 15 minutes from 2.30 for that time between you know going from A to B, from table to table. Um, There are, of course, a whole bunch of other things I can say about this, but let's start off with just general observations here, maybe some things that stick out. Uh, John, what uh, stands out to you when you first take a look at just the overall rules of the packet? Right, right. So not not getting into specifics. We'll talk about uh, scoring and all that stuff in a few minutes here. Um, Overall, uh, so Scott and I uh, have been running tournaments out here on the West Coast for, uh, you know, probably about the same length of time. Um, Scott is the T.O. I am a T.O. <laughs> and, and I say it that way because uh, as much as, as we may uh, have both been doing this a long time and we both uh, certainly converse and, and share some philosophies, uh, at this stage of the game, I think anybody would be hard-pressed to say that there is a T.O., with more large game experience in the United States than Scott Reed. Um, he, run, of course, runs SoCal Open. Uh, he runs the LVO. And uh, people may not know, he actually gets invited uh, to run tournaments around uh, the country and around the West. So he actually has quite a bit of other experience, not to mention all the events he runs locally in his local game store and what have you. So Scott is certainly the quintessential TO. And so... When I look at a packet like this, I see a lot of things that I, I really like, a uh, very lot of common philosophies on what should be in a tournament pack. But Scott and I make very different tournament packs. The, in fact, the only thing that we kind of share are the house rules off the beginning. Um, one of the big things that I noticed here, and this is starting to get a little bit into the rules, but I don't want to burr down on this too much, is everything does have to be painted, three color minimum, and based. Okay, and if you guys know the current ITC requirements is your base has to have paint at the very least. So based means there's a base on the bottle and the base is painted. Okay, and if you want to get full points, you need to have some stuff on that base as well. The other thing that I noted is that they're going to require all of the base sizes to be correct. So if you're running square bases, you're running some janky other wrong size base better fix that right now. So those are kind of the the general things I've noticed. What about you, Garrett? Any uh, overall observations? Um, 
Nothing in particular. I do want to mention the behaviors and expectations is actually a link to the ITC Code of Conduct, which has had a lot of uh, talk about in the 40K scene. And I like that uh, Scott is bringing it into the Age of Sigmar scene because I feel like it's been a very positive thing for the community. Whatever things people have said about it, I think overall it has done well and has brought out some of the issues that people have had with competitive play and done work to try to deal with them. And I think Scott has uh, listened to a lot of people and heard and strictly enforcing the ITC code of conduct, I think will be very good for this event overall. Mm -hmm. So I like that. Um, And then uh, just, I like the amount of house rules that kind of just go over and explain a lot of things. Um, I mean, in particular, he has list submission deadline, January 13th. He has deadline of new rules, which was last Friday on the 4th. So no new zinch, no new coach and overloads. Um, and then FAQs posted two days before the event. So that allows um, for, you know, people to, to be able to get the latest FAQs out. Although I do like that he... Um, liked the, any FAQs that change point values po- that are must be posted two days before lists are due. That way we don't have issues where you submit your list and then all of a sudden an FAQ changes your points and then your list is now illegal. So uh, he did go over all the things and it's really nice that he seems to have been able to figure every little thing out that could be an issue. So that's nice. <laughs> and that's, that's huh. the voice of experience knowing yeah. that because some of the things you mentioned there those are subtle details, like list yeah. submission, multiple tiers of list and other uh, rule submission deadlines. That is subtle and, again, shows the experience of the uh, the TO. I think the one yeah. issue I have as part of the little details is, and I think this is an inexperience with the ITC Code of Conduct, is he's not expressing penalties for missing deadlines or things like mm-hmm. that, like missing the list submission deadline. In the 40 gate GT, you start with a yellow card. And um, I think it might have been nice if he was explicit about that. I believe that is the case. If you upload your list after the deadline, you will come to the event starting with a yellow card. Same and, goes. And that would be well, consistent with the SoCal Open. Yeah. Garrett, you, you also forget that um, the only red cards that were distributed at LVO last year were to Age of Sigmar players. And it was primarily due to the fact that they already started, some of them started with a quite a, uh, at least two yellow cards because of list submission issues. Oh, there, there's so, quite a few 40K yellow cards given out for list submission issues. Well, I know, but, but, but the red cards. Yeah, but but the red cards, you know, you got to get a yellow card yeah. before you get a red card. Well, no, um, with this, you can so, jump right to the yeah. red card, I assure you. You can. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. If, if, you, if you go up to your opponent, immediately insult their mother, and then, like, punch them in the face and start a fight, yeah, you're going to – that's an instant Or red if card, you just scream like, at the TO because your army wasn't painted correctly and they removed your models, that also is an instant red card. <laughs> yeah, um, I could see where that would oh, be a problem. Luckily, nobody would be foolish enough to do something like that. I think they have it in the code of conduct that swearing at the TO is an automatic red card. I think that's in there. <laughs> I'm dying. <laughs> For those of you who didn't know, there's no reason to explain it. However, this episode might not get edited, so uh, who knows? <laughs> Let's leave it there. Let's move on. <laughs> but we'll leave it at that. I, I will say, I will say, I do appreciate the fact that. They uh, say that any FAQ um, two days out counts uh, because that allows people who are about to travel to the L- uh, to LVO not um you know not go to the event and then find out that like their rules like like you know the the thing that they wanted to do no longer works and I'm looking at those goddamn slaves of darkness players who still don't have their faq out so you know it might come out tomorrow it might come out next friday who knows it might come out a day before the deadline for that but it would be outrageous if it came out during lvo and and of course that wouldn't be it wouldn't be in effect so um you know we're still waiting for that games workshop but um who knows maybe when this episode comes out it'll actually be out so yeah yeah. well there's no um, doubt there's gonna be a lot of std in uh, vegas (laughs) Well, you know, sometimes sometimes it happens. Sometimes uh, you encounter some STD in Vegas. So I'm probably uh, anticipating quite a few STD myself. Um, you know, so the plague touched uh, STD 
really, you know, it, uh, it comes through, it comes through when you don't expect it. Boils and, are nasty. Uh, there's not a lot to do. There's not a lot to do. It's, uh, it's, well, a it's, it's pretty important to bubble wrap your units. If you want to be protected <laughs> against uh, what STD can bring to the table there. <laughs> oh, oh, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, you always gotta also, you know, make sure that you, you understand what you're getting into and you, you got to make sure that you agree to the rules that you're, you know, of course with, uh, with the challenged STD and, uh, yeah, you know, you got to always make sure that you check up on things, you know? Oh, so bad. So bad. Uh, so, um, <clears throat> about those, uh, <laughs> battle plan scores. <laughs> well, Alex, what did you yeah. think of the ruling on the Bone Tithe Nexus? What oh, are yeah. your thoughts on that? Yeah. Oh, yeah. So I was in communication with Scott uh, a couple of months ago because I didn't. I went to an event, as our listeners might recall, and of course you guys. I went to the Wagapalooza GT, and I, I won that with uh, Bone Reapers. And with that one, I spoke to the TO ahead of time because I didn't know how he wanted to rule things. And it was, you know, of course, I was always, I wanted to be on the up and up. And I straight up said, hey, man, if you want to just be at my table every single the start of each round, you know, we can do that. And, uh, you know, we can see what we can do to sort out um, the table for the bone type. And uh, he agreed to something that I also agree would have been a good idea. And, and unfortunately, it's not in place here. And that was just... Um, I put the bone type nexus down when at the time when people would normally put the uh, their uh, scenery terrain. Um, unlike how the bone type nexus is actually worded, which you put it down first and then put terrain everywhere, um, and you put it before you know your deployment. So um, my at Wagapalooza, he wanted to keep that same air of I don't know where I'm going to be deployed or where my opponent's going to be deployed, so I don't know how effective this is going to be. So he said. Before deploy, oh no, yeah, yeah. So before people deploy anything, um, or even roll for sides, he said, put the put it down. It can't be within three inches of an objective or a piece of terrain. And I was like, instead of uh, outside of six inches from a board edge or three inches from uh, an objective. And so I was like, great, that works well. Everyone's happy. Um, I'm happy with this bone type Nexus one too. Uh, it's a little less restrictive than I would have uh, done. I would have made me, it a let little. Let me jump in there for I'm you, just, Alex. When you choose an Osiarch Bone Reaper's army, you can include one Bone Tithe Nexus, page 85. Before any rolls are made for the battle, any Bone Tithe Nexus, is that Nexi, may replace where a large piece of terrain is already set up on the table more than one inch from any objectives and more than six inches from the edge of the battlefield or other piece of terrain. This may not replace a piece of terrain that touches the very center of the battlefield. If both players can set up terrain features before any other terrain features are set up, the players must roll off and the winner chooses who sets up their terrain features first, following the directions above. So that's very distinct, very clear. Alex, you're the one who plays this army. Is that reasonable? Is that as close as we can get to the book or is that like fucking out of left field? Well, thank you for your interjection. Um, it's it's interesting. Um, you know, six inches from the boardage is, of course, how the book rules it, um, which is tough depending on the the you know terrain of the mission. But um, I don't necessarily agree with replacing. Uh, well, so it says that you may replace a piece of terrain, so you don't have to replace it. You can still put it down and not touch the table. I right? mean, you still got to like, be six inches away from any other terrain piece. You so. still so. The way I'm reading this is you don't have to screw yeah. because I, I would prefer not to have to screw with terrain um, and do it the way uh, – because at first – and this is interesting. So at first when I spoke to Scott, he had a completely different ruling of how he was going to do this. So since then, his, he's probably changed his mind, probably talked to other people. Um, I and, and I was worried that it was actually going to be more – uh, abusive with for OBR players. Um, this is more restrictive than what he and I had originally spoken about, um, but not as completely let loose as the book, of course, uh, suggests. I, yeah, I, I really would prefer not to screw with terrain. So I'm glad that it's only one inch from an objective, six inch from a board edge. It is what it is, but it doesn't tell you that it has to be any distance away from other pieces. Yes, of it does. So it says six inches from the uh, edge of the battlefield or other piece of terrain. Oh, 
Yes, yes. Oh boy, I'm a big <laughs> dummy. Um, yeah. So more often than not, it's probably going to be um, replacing a piece of terrain. But if it isn't, if there's a real empty board, um, then hey, you will be able to uh, use it to your discretion. Um, otherwise, yeah. I mean, uh, a piece of terrain, that's fine. Um, so this, this kind of simulates you, the the idea of putting it down first and then laying terrain around it. It's not exactly the same, but but you think is this as close as we can get for a turn? Oh, yeah. Or, or I think this is the close. It's as close as you can get to the actual exact verbiage of the book without completely having to make up something different. Gotcha. Mm. Yeah. So you know, kudos on Scott for being planted as true to the word as possible without it making it being a um, bit of a logistical nightmare because we know that there's going to be plenty of OBR players too. Um, yeah. I mean, outside of that, I, I, I'm cool with it. I, I like it. Uh, you know, it, it's a type of, it's a piece of terrain that I don't need to be next to. So it's not a huge deal, but I do like that. It specifically says before any rolls are made for the battle. Does that mean that it is before deployment still? I yeah, would say so. Cause you roll to see who, choose the side so it'd be before sides are determined yeah yeah okay perfect that's what i thought so yeah this holds as true now can you, can. you um can you play um, the, place the nexus upside down or on its side to reduce its footprint <laughs> you're you're giving me ptsd from like seventh edition 40k when people were talking about putting bases on their sides um that is a nightmare Surfboarding, uh, i don't know if you remember on the surfboarding imperial knights before the stratagem uh came out about hitting floors yeah that is a nightmare i don't even want to think about that right now <laughs> oh my lord uh, all i'm saying is put a couple feet uh towers i mean uh near the top of the pyramid in case it has to go upside down <laughs> yeah we can do that i mean it's fully magnetized i'll, yeah. I'll figure it out yeah, yeah. um john taking a look at game scores here uh you know you for both of us, this should be pretty familiar as it's very similar to, uh, you know, of course, to um, SoCal Open um, in terms of scoring. But do you have any thoughts on that? Or, or I think right below it is something you have a lot sure. to say Sure. So I'll I just talk about points uh, real quick. Um, for me, points, like the absolute number of points doesn't matter. It's about point ratios relative to secondaries and tertiaries. Uh, as you know, when I did the Winter War last month, I experimented with super low battle plan points and then higher secondary points. And it was interesting. Uh, I'm not going to get into that discussion of what I learned right now. But what I will say is as I look at this packet, we basically have 17 points for a major victory of the battle plan. And then all of your secondaries, if you get all of them, can equal about six points. <clears throat> Excuse me. Eight points. That means, huh? Eight points. Where's the eighth one? You get one point for denying each the army. and. Oh, the, yeah, the um, deny. Yeah, okay, so yeah. you're right. There, I had it set in a second column. That's why I didn't add them up. So anyway, so at, at eight points, <clears throat> excuse me, all of the secondaries are a little under half of the points that are available from the major victory. So that probably doesn't come into play too often. But then we start looking at, you know, if you have a minor victory or even a draw, how those secondaries, you know, at eight points for a draw and then eight points worth of secondaries, for example, that could be a, a big factor. So to me, it's just about ratio of um, battle plan points to secondary points that kind of makes an interesting thing. Um, uh, Garrett, I mean, when we start looking at that, are you one, uh, I, I, you know what? I don't even want to set you up for this question. I know that you're more of a believer in more binary scoring. If we're going to go non-binary, uh, do you like this, the high granularity? Do you think there should be a higher ratio of secondaries to primaries or a lower ratio? I personally believe that I, I think this is a really good medium, as you said, just below half of what you can get for a major victory and less than what you can get for a minor victory at that. That way, your secondaries are never going to leap you ahead to a win. Uh, Cause I think let's see here five plus eight. you could get a minor loss in all your secondaries and beat a minor victory. So that, that is where it's at. Cause that means that the, the primary, if you win the battle plan, you win the mission and the secondaries are just there to give by granularity between the scores. And I like that. I think, that's the one math yeah. I would have looked at is could a person with a minor loss get in all of their secondaries and won the mission. And that's the decision that you have to then make. And maybe Scott did that and decided that somebody who 
lost the battle plan, but literally did every secondary and his opponent got nothing. He does deserve the win. Yeah. Yeah. So maybe he does deserve the win at that point. So, but that's the only way you can turn a loss into a win. Um, and maybe you can turn a a minor loss into a tie more easily. Uh, but yeah, I, I think this is, this does create a lot of granularity. So if you're not going to go for a binary, I think you should go full granularity at that point because you end up with issues or if you just kind of half ask the granularity, you just kind of end up having a binary system anyway that just has some people getting punished. Um, and you end up with some weird scenarios where it's better to let your opponent win a secondary due to strength of schedule reasons. So, yeah, I think, I think you hit on a big key that a lot of people don't realize is if you if you have some granularity but not enough – then that actually just becomes a punishment scenario. And that's yeah. that's not what we're looking for. Oh yeah. So I think I think as far as yeah. not going binary, this is I actually have run the numbers on this a bunch. And I kind of like <laughs> how it's the secondaries are spread under three different things that have deny mechanics. Um, I guess we should explain real quick uh, how all of the, the scoring works. So you get uh, zero points for a major loss, 17 points for a major victory, and then 5, 12, and 8, and 8. Oh, it's interesting. A draw is worth one point less than a major victory. Um, 8 and 8 for the draws. And then you get uh, points for – there's the battle plan secondary. So every of there's five battle plan secondaries, and each one will be assigned to one of the missions. And each mission has a set battle plan, and only one person can get the battle plan secondary, and it is worth two points. Then you have uh, the army mission. The army mission is when you s- submit your list to the event, you choose one of these that your army will use every mission. They cannot change it once you submitted your list, and it will be used every mission. If you complete this yourself, you get two points. If your opponent does not complete theirs, you get an additional point. So you get one point for denying your opponent's uh, army mission, and you get the two yourself. Uh, if you don't complete it, you get zero. Um, now, those deny you- mechanics are nice. We, we talked about, what was what was that tournament that we talked about earlier in the year? Was that the London GT? War Games Con had it. War Games nope. Con. War Games yeah. Con. That den- yeah, War Games deny Con. mechanic. Boy, we talked about it a little bit then. I got pretty excited. That was the first time I had heard of such a thing, and and I'm kind of liking this deny mechanic. It adds, again, yeah. just another layer of granularity to the score. Yeah, well, I'll, I'll finish up this Didn't last you- the last set of uh, secondaries you can get, the Hidden Agenda. Every round, so there's, what's here, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine available Hidden Agendas, and every uh, mission you will pick one of the nine, and you can't use the same every turn, just like normal Hidden Agendas, and again, you get two points for completing yours and one point for denying your opponents. So that's all the different makeups, so a total of eight uh, points for uh, secondaries, and 17 for a major victory for a total possible points of 25. Go ahead, Alex. Yep. Nice. Hold on. I'm All right. Well, while here. you're counting, I did want to mention about the uh, yep. deny mechanics and my thoughts is uh, deny mechanics are very useful because you are given a benefit to actually n- not allow your opponent to gain the secondary. In, in games where... Yeah. You, if you're always assuming the top players will have every possible point, if you just go into that assumption that they are, you know, top players, they get 25s every time. If you don't have a deny mechanic, that player is incentivized to let his opponent take secondaries because then he has a higher strength of schedule. Yeah. So he's better off against his other perfect score players if his opponents actually get the points that he had because he doesn't lose anything for them getting the points. So he may as well give it to them for like, so it, yeah. it encourages collusion. So it, it de-incentivizes the traditional gimme points. We can call it collusion though. Mm-hmm. It technically is. I feel that's a bit of a strong word to use at, at that level of, of, you know, throwing off a secondary, but at the same time, now anybody that scored secondaries, they have damn earned them because yes. why would you deny yourself a point just to be a, good guy exactly so that's why i think if you're gonna go with a non-binary system and have secondaries you gotta have it um this deny mechanic so that you can incentivize people for trying to actively not let your opponent the one thing i don't like 
sorry for rambling on for a while, but the one thing I don't like about the hidden agendas is, oh, you, yeah, you only reveal it at the end of the game. I do not like, especially with having that deny mechanic, I don't like that it's not revealed during the game. I feel like you should have every, I don't, as you said in an earlier episode, John, I don't like hidden things. It just breeds a, it allows for the possibility of cheating just the even minor possibility of cheating like Alex had in that one mission where at the end of the game, his opponent was like, wait, did you write that down? And he was like, so you, you, your opponent now is second guessing you at the end of a game that was just exhausting to both of you mentally. And now you have to remember what you did and what you didn't. And it's, I don't like yeah, that. Did you secretly write yeah, it and down if, and if, and in if you, turn four? Yeah. <laughs> right. Know? Yeah. So I think having everything revealed at the beginning of the game so everyone is aware of the situation and everyone has transparency with each other keeps both people open and honest. So keep the good guys honest. What I really what I really what I really liked was the first LVO for Age of Sigmar. Um, what Scott did was he had he gave everyone cards. He gave everyone cards for all your hidden agendas, right? And this is back before all these secondaries and stuff. It was just the hidden agendas. Or he, I guess, he, I think it was uh, custom secondaries, actually. I think Games Workshop might have learned from it and, and picked up on it themselves. And that's where hidden agendas came from. But um, he gave everyone uh, cards. And it was all cards for all the hidden agendas, right? And he explicitly said, you know, when you and your opponent write down your hidden agendas right before or right after your deployment, and you write down your name uh, on the hidden agenda, your name and your mission or whatever. And so what you would do is you would go to your, you would, you know, deploy with your opponent after uh, when it's time for hidden agendas, you would hide, hide what you write down. You'd flip over your, your cards. So it's uh, your, your hidden agendas, uh, your written hidden agenda is face down on the card. Your opponent does the same thing, or maybe you guys fold it up. You guys put them one on top of the other. And um, his rule was not reveal at the end of the game at that point. That year, it was once you hit your, once you make your secondary objective, you reveal it to your opponent. So, like, it was a lot easier. You know, you pull, when, when you make your, let's say it was kill the most expensive hero in your opponent's army. The moment you you go, yes, and you pull out the card and you go, ha, 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 look at that. Um, and so that also makes it a lot easier because, like, what's the opponent going to say? Oh, you, you know, I turned around and in three seconds you put a whole no- another card there. No. No, they didn't. You know what I mean? Like, I wouldn't be so, surprised if he does the same um, thing this year, honestly. It makes yeah, things a lot easier. Um, like, like Garrett, like the moment you mentioned with, with me, uh, uh, you know, I wrote down, you know, I, I wrote down my hidden agenda elsewhere. I didn't give a shit or give a shit about the packet. I put it down. I put it face down, but because it wasn't on the packet, uh, which the other person was putting it on, you know, it's like that became the issue. So it's like, yeah, you gotta you gotta always um, find a way to make it work. You know it just I mean? reminds so, me of the early days um, when I was playing 40k back in fourth edition, where you didn't have. There was no explicit thing that stated you had to reveal what was in your transports, and so it, like when I was playing, when oh, I was playing yeah. narrative play, yeah, when I was playing narrative that. play with my friends and just open play back when I first started, it wasn't an issue because you know we all trusted each other, we all played. But the moment you went to tournaments, it became like it was a uh, gentleman's agreement that you would put what unit was in each one, even though you weren't required to, everyone kind of just did it. And then when it became explicit that you had to, I remembered some people threw a fit about like, Oh, I can't hide it anymore. But people in tournament play were like, well, no shit. Like we did this anyways, because any sort of hidden transport thing just opened up like the ability for people to abuse. And so I just, I don't like hidden things because it just, Nobody wants to play gotcha hammer or you don't want the temptation to cheat. You don't want, like, it's not even like a person who is a cheater. Just, you might have the temptation like, Oh, if I just do this thing, I win. And like, I, I just, I feel like transparency. So both players can keep each other honest is the right way to go. Yep. I have to agree with that. Oh, totally. I completely agree with that as well. It's uh, really important here. I, um, um, yeah, I really hope he does the card thing. I think that would be really helpful. Uh, real quick observation, too, here, as we've talked about with these secondaries, um, I don't know if you've noticed, but between the secondaries, um, the, the battle plan secondaries, which is, of course, each mission has its own secondary, and your army, pardon me, army mission that you choose 
as a part of your army list and the hidden agendas that you set up uh, that you choose, you know, before the battle round, almost all of these are the standard list of hidden agendas in the actual general's handbook Um, of the 18 uh, of all 18 of the hidden agendas from general's handbook 2019 are in some way, shape or form in all of these and named by name, by the way, I don't know if you guys. Have oh, made that no, I actually hadn't noticed that. No, that's yeah. He basically took all the 18 and all, separated them into where he felt they belonged in the categories of battle plan army and, uh, hidden. Uh, it was funny because when I was first practicing the packet, he had onslaught, I think it was called, uh, yeah. Uh, onslaught where you immediately make a nine inch charge that used to be an army mission which was silly because all i had to do was make a nine inch charge and i completed my army mission so i took that every time as my army mission (laughs) and i quickly realized wait a minute that because the thing about the onslaught is you take it as your army mission because your opponent can never do anything to deny you you just make a nine inch charge you're done your opponent just can't do anything so it's very powerful and so it didn't really belong as an army mission so Uh he moved it out so based off of the requirements of each mission he put them where they belong like i think the army missions are generally end of game scoring ones the hidden agendas are generally uh immediately scoring ones and the uh, battle plan ones are all i believe all end of game ones or like first person destroy something that but only one person can get them so there's a pattern to right well now there are there are 20 total so there has to be a couple that he added i think final word yeah, no. Final word and Sorcerer Supreme are the only ones that are not yeah. in the book. There's twenty, yeah, because there, there's twenty objectives between these three scoring types, and the, yeah, and and those are the only ones that are not in the book. Um, some of these are kind of yeah nutty. I mean, I can tell you right now. Um, back when you know there was just the normal hidden agendas and they were straight from the book, I every single game as a night hunt player yeah. chose onslaught because I'm like. Great, I'm fishing yeah. for those ten up charges, anyways. <laughs> Might as well, <laughs> you know. So uh, I literally always took that one. So I was like, worst so, case scenario, I lose. In, in the interest of <laughs> helping our uh, listeners build their uh, army lists, could we let's real quick go over the army missions? And Alex, which one are you particularly looking at for your list? You know, to start spilling some of your secrets before LVO. Yeah. Uh, I mean, we hold on. Uh, Let me. I'm so sorry. Uh, A little bit of a connectivity issue on my army mission. Yeah, army Army, mission. Army mission. So when you're building your army, you have to pick that that goes on your actual. Yeah, yeah. Folks, if you're listening to this, this is super important. This must be on your list when you submit it. You could get a yellow card for not picking your army mission. Yeah, it's true. And for those of you who have already signed up for and have tickets for uh, Age of Sigmar LVO, um, you should have already received an email yesterday from Scott Reed. When I say yesterday, I mean uh, last Sunday. That would be specifically, uh, you guys will know when we're recording right now, that would be the uh, 5th of January. Uh, the 5th of uh, January. Nurgle's rod yeah, is, cut, is affecting him. Right now. Um, yeah. It's already affecting right. me, apparently. We have no fourth um, So So he explained. <laughs> Of course. So he explicitly mentions in his email that this is something that you have to have as a part of your list and it needs to be written on the list. And Scott helps you out even more by giving you two separate uh, uh, army list submissions uh, with examples of how you put that down. He also explicitly mentions that you have to put your army list in the War Scroll Builder format. So he also links to the Warhammer community site for the War Scroll Builder, just in case people somehow don't know. You know, there's somehow an LVO uh, champion player who doesn't even know that it exists. Maybe they're a person who thinks that. I mean, in there is over 170 players registered for this event, and many of them might be new players who just want to come out and experience the Age of Sigmar ter- Grand Tournament. So you never know. Hogwash. Right. <laughs> Fake news. But so Alex. 170, 170 Age of Sigmar killers coming in. <laughs> but Alex, which army mission are you taking? I'm curious. 
Uh, well, it was really funny. I was actually having some communication with Scott yesterday um, because I was dumb and I didn't read. I think we both had a bit of a brain fart moment. Um, I was in the middle middle of my tournament, so I wasn't fully paying attention. I just read the email as it was coming my way. And uh, he mentions, uh, of course, with Conserve, you complete this mission if at least one-third of your units from your starting army, rounding up, have not been destroyed and are on the battlefield at the end of the battle. I completely missed the parentheses of rounding up. So I asked him, I said, hey, if you have a, say, seven-drop army uh, or a seven-unit army, um, what is rounding <laughs> up? Is it like, you know, and, and he responded with, well, in this instance, you would get your conserve if you had four units. You would lose your conserve if you had three units left. And I went, what? <laughs> I, and I responded to him and I said, hey, uh, if you divide seven by three, that's 2.3. And he went, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. No, it would be, uh, I was thinking halves. I don't know why. And then I reread our message and I went, holy crap, you put the rounding up in parentheses there. You answered the question in the email. I should never have responded. That's my bad. So we both had a moment where we're like, oh, okay. Um, so I'm looking at conserve. Uh, if I bring list two, if I'm bringing list one, I'm a lot more really? thinking about attrition. Uh, but I'll probably, uh, yeah, I would probably do attrition or or, or conserve on list two. I mean, uh, or list one rather, um, and then list two, I would probably just do conserve because um, even if my opponent knows it, uh, it's not going to be easy for them to so, get, even if they know. I it. think so, so pl- I've played the LVO packet. I think in a tournament and a couple of practice games now. And I think that conserve is going to be a very popular one because, you know, it, all you have to do is keep three, two to four units alive. That's all you got to do between heroes and units and stuff. Shouldn't be too bad. But an interesting thing you could do is take attrition because if most people are taking conserve, if you get attrition, they lose conserve. Ooh, solid. Very solid. So, so you wow, could go for broke that. and basically be like, "I'm going to deny everyone's conserve and go for attrition." Yeah, but what if you fight against that? Uh, if what if I fight it with my OBR against another OBR player and we just do that a means you lose attrition and they gain conserve. Um, it is going for broke. You are basically hoping to kill everything. Conserve is the more conservative option. Um. So, but yeah. I do like Logan, uh, when we were playing, Logan was playing his beast of chaos. He took invade because turn five, he can just summon a unit of 10 Ungor in your battle, uh, your territory and call it a day. So he's going invade all day. Um, so there's interesting ones like that. If you have an army that can, uh, deep strike a unit on turn five or summon something real quick, invades a great one. Um, Ooh, like if you're playing Maggotkin, maybe you could summon off your tree and kind of reserve some points yep. for the end. Yeah, all you got to do is just wait till Ooh. turn five and be like, in your territory, done. I get invade every time. Um, defend, I feel like defend is a very difficult one, especially, so what people have to realize, your territory is not your deployment zone. And in most right. of the missions, your territory is the whole half of the board. Although d- there is duality of death and battle for the past where you're, um, territories are very small actually battle for the past has that triangle and duality of death just has that little box so those would be those are unique yes <laughs> unique um and then there's slay and overrun slay you gotta kill a hero uh, i guess if you are very good at hero sniping that's actually a really easy one to get like maybe shooting based mm-hmm. armies or people who go for the sword of judgment on their heroes they're usually trying to kill heroes um right but it's also the highest point hero from the army so that means you're you know you're you're trying to get the big bad yeah something tough something nasty something they're gonna protect then if you too. can kill nagash if you're building a list that goes i can kill nagash katakros gordrak any of those big guys in one turn if that's your goal slay's not a bad idea and then overrun is actually a really easy one to get because it is, I think, one of the few that don't the end of battle. You actually score at the end of any battle round in which one of you you are basically in all four quarters of the battlefield and your opponent's not. So if you're an army that can spread out real fast, you can score overrun quite quickly and just cinch those two points and not allow your opponent to get a point real easily. So if you have a very mobile force, you can just be like, boom, oh, I'm yeah. in all four quarters, done. 
So overrun's actually not a bad one for people who have deep strike mechanics, summon mechanics, or just high speed. So Slanesh armies, uh, Tempest Eye armies, Beasts of Chaos armies, those types of things, overrun's a good idea. So there's the army missions and some thought, my thoughts on all of them. Yeah, you know, uh, looking at this too, outside of the army missions, um, I'm looking at the hidden agenda, specifically the two that were uh, custom built for LVO. And uh, first of all, I think I see a bit of a typo here. Um, for Sorcerer Supreme, it does say, um, you immediately complete this hidden agenda if an enemy hero is slain by mortal wounds inflicted by an, an enemy, enemy wizard. Hero. Yeah, an enemy wizard uh, by an enemy wizard. So if an enemy wizard kills an enemy hero, if it should be, shouldn't it be if a hero, an enemy hero is slain by your wizard? Oh, oh, <laughs> an enemy hero is slain by more by an I, enemy I, wizard. I, yes, I mean it's. I mean it's very I obvious. I think the intention, what the intention is it's is an here, enemy of the enemy hero. So just in case you fight against a Tempest Eye guy and he has a bunch of wizards and he does a pendulum and moves it and yeah. kills his own guy. The, then you get the other interesting agenda. thing about Sorcerer like, Supreme is it's only mortal wounds. It doesn't say spells. And so if you have a wizard who has like some sort of mortal wound mechanic that is not a spell, uh, I can't think of any off the top of my head, but I know there are a couple that just have like a, oh, dude, like a warp seer, a vermin lord warp seer. Yeah, to say the warp seer when he throws his ball. Yeah, you could just kill here with a ball, call it a day. Uh, Arkin's. Arkin's. Uh, yeah, Arkin's exactly. Arkin's ghost, ghost, ghosty boys with his ghosty touches. Um, Naga- or, uh, Archeon's um, dragon heads can do mortal wounds. So basically, you don't actually need to use a spell, you just need to do a mortal wound attack. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. That's I interesting. That would it would be nice for me if they um, actually allowed uh, wizards and priests, but uh, that's kind of one thing I always look out for those things. Yeah. And and yeah, it's I funny when that. you mentioned the whole uh, enemy wizard, as, as we were saying that, you know, maybe that's the enemy of the hero. It's very possible that Scott, you know, being a teacher and all, has written an exactly correct sentence, and we're just not, you know, educated enough to recognize what we're looking at. <laughs> oh yeah, that American education. I, I, I'm sure there's something we're missing there. Um, I would put money on that. Yeah, but you know, taking going back to army mission here before we wrap things up tonight. John, uh, what is an army mission you would take with sure. your army? So whenever I've been playing. Any of this packet, like we did SoCal Open and actually a few other practices, uh, I always go with Conserve with my Skaven. Um, it's pretty rare for me. Like Probably six out of ten games I play with the Skaven, I don't even lose one unit. So, yeah. Wow. And, and mind, you, mind you, it's they units get decimated, but you know, you got three monks left or two clan rats and you just run them away. <laughs> they go run and hide. And so there's lots of stuff running away, running and hiding. So I found that conserve was one that I could hit pretty much every time unless somebody has the tools to completely vaporize my army. And, and believe me, I run into armies that can vaporize, you know, 160, 200 uh, rats off the table. And uh, those are always rough days, but yeah, conserve is the one to go for. I think some of the rest yeah. of the ones, honestly, yeah, go ahead. Uh, I was going to say, given, to are, are... given that last sentence, I would actually think Overrun would be really good with Skaven. Between your Gnaw Holes and your Skaven speed, I feel like you could quickly get Overrun early in the mission and then not have to worry about your army being destroyed. Yeah, that's that's true, except for the fact that the units that I tend to have the ability to flick out there pretty quick and early are also the ones I'm using for bubble wrap early mm. on. So if I have something with a heavy assault presence where I need to utilize the bubble wrap instead of throwing the clan rats across the table, that's going to put me on a back foot. Yeah, so, yeah Conserve uh, has been the one that's been pretty successful for me. Very cool. Very cool. Okay. Well, you know, uh, any final thoughts here between the hidden agendas, the battle, uh, the army missions, and the uh, the uh, secret mission stuff? Uh, uh, I mean, I Garrett. feel like I've talked ad nauseum about a lot of them. I mean, outside of getting into all nine of the hidden agendas, um, I guess my final thoughts are when you come to the table, make sure you look at the battle plan secondary when you look at the packet because every point is going to count in this game 
with this setup. So I would definitely try to get as many points as you can and have a plan on how to deal with each of the battle plan secondaries. Mm-hmm. I agree. I agree. And it uh, build a list that doesn't completely make sure that you can't get at yeah, least exactly. half of these. Um, so yeah, that's something I would say. And for those of you who have bought the tickets again, do read your email from Scott Make sure that you write your list correctly, and because you got till the thirteenth. Yeah, one so, week. Well, yeah. actually, when you hear this episode, mm-hmm. you will have about three days. You will have less time. That is correct. Um, yeah, and so you know, with that, uh, you know, in our next episode, we will definitely dive into the missions, so we can take a look at the realms, the realmscapes, the objectives, the secondary objectives with those realmscapes, and uh, also possibly expect what the top eight missions might be because those are not announced yet. Uh, However, before we wrap things up here, uh, John, uh, Garrett, you know, it's, it's really exciting to see this preparation here for LVO and I can't wait to hear you guys on the live. Oh, Hey, wait, wait, what? Uh, (laughs) The cat out of the bag. (laughs) I didn't, Sorry, I didn't. I didn't say. I didn't, didn't say, say a goddamn, goddamn thing. thing. Well, um, might as well. It's there. It is now. Yeah. So uh, I hope that we do a, a fine job. I'm looking forward to engaging with people. And as Alex is let out of the bag, it looks like uh, Adon Tahada, Garrett Mulroney, and myself, John Fuerhelm, will be your live stream announcers for the uh, AOS championships at the LVO coming up in two weeks. We will have uh, more information and details about that coming up, uh, including uh, hopefully afterwards, we'll be able to line up some nice interviews and all kinds of good stuff with people, but we will talk more about that. Uh, what about Garrett? What do you think, man? You excited to do this? Should be pretty fun. I, huh? I am actually really excited. I'm also very nervous. Uh, I don't think I've had a very on-screen presence in a long time. I know you've been hearing my voice a lot, but uh, I, I, th- I think this will be ultimately very fun. And honestly, I'm really excited about not having to fly an army across the country. Right? <laughs> this actually changed everything. As soon as we got asked to do this, I decided that Donna and I are not going to drive now. And I picked up some plane tickets. So we're just going to going to fly to vegas this year making a little bit easier trip for the both of us so uh uh, i'm with you garrett i'm a little bit nervous about going on the uh the interwebs live stream um you know our listeners probably uh some of you that know me in person know that i actually do quite a bit of live streaming but i do it professionally and it's all private live streams to uh engineers uh at other companies and stuff like that so whereas i do have live streaming experience it's one-on-one one-on-five type not you know the internet millions and billions that will be watching us uh on this particular live stream other than that uh you know it should be fun and uh yeah i'm really looking forward. I, I love your optimism with the millions and billions of viewers we're gonna have during the live stream at vegas <laughs> Oh, yeah, that's what I'm telling you. It's like what? You know, I'm saying half the people in India and a third of China will be watching, you know, most of the East Coast, all of England, right? Everybody in England plays Warhammer, so they'll definitely be watching. <laughs> even even the children sure, and, and the sure. old people, oh. they all play Warhammer. Uh, even the women and the children, too. Um, <laughs> oh, boy. God damn. Okay. Well, if you guys like this episode, uh, do feel uh, free to uh, give us a like, give us a review on Facebook, on Apple Podcasts, or of course, wherever you guys get your podcasts. Uh, for this week's episode, this is going to be Alex, Garrett, and John signing off. Good night. Winning is not a sometime thing, it's an all the time thing. You don't win once in a while, and you don't do things right once in a while. You do them right all the time. Winning is a habit.